Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf, Coverleaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and we're absolutely honored to be joined today by a drummer, Kent Auberly. How are you, Kent? I'm doing great. Good to talk to you. It's good to finally talk to you, sir. How's, how have you gotten through the last uh, um, near two years of COVID? Oh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's been interesting being a pro musician. You know, I mean, last year, you know, I had a, uh, a Google's calendar that was 100% rainbow colored, and it was beautiful, and it was awesome. And then within about two weeks, it turned white. And that was an yeah. interesting time. Um, you know, but... It, Honestly, man, there's there's a lot of it that I I look back on it now, and at the time, you know, I was freaking out a little. Everybody freaked out a little bit, but you know, and as a musician, I definitely kind of instantly wanted to think negatively of, man, this sucks. You know, everything's got to happen. But in the end, you know, I I had a lot of time home that I haven't had in a long time. Um, I was able to learn some new trades, learn some new. Um, things that can help my career and uh just uh you know just dealt with it day to day um this year it's been going great you know i I guess the one thing about this year it's been kind of nuts is that everything seems to be happening at once and it's kind of like you know i just had a year off so i'm trying to trying to figure out the time management thing really quick again so but i can't complain about being busy right now yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been awesome to get back, start to get back to things. I do a lot of conventions with the radio show, the podcast. I want to call it a radio show, I did radio for so long, but uh, doing conventions with the podcast, and those are starting to get back going again. So it's good things are, people are starting to come out of the out of the darkness, and things are starting to get better. Yeah, and man, I'm I'm healthy and I'm happy, and my family's good, and uh, you know that's all I can really that's. That's all that really matters right now. So, you know, I can't complain at all. I'm glad to hear you guys are getting back to work, too. It's great. Oh, yeah. Things are starting to, to get better, uh, looks like, around the, the U.S. at least. I mean, it seems like some of the other countries are still getting hit pretty hard. But yeah, uh. I work with a company, uh, Dream Symbols, out of Canada, and uh, they're just now starting to get kind of back somewhat to normal so they're mm. i know like i think like the borders starting to open up here soon um with vaccination so that's a good thing and uh you know one day at a time one breath at a time we'll all get through this thing you know we just got to stay positive stay healthy and uh treat treat each other kindly and we'll get through all this you know i have no doubts Absolutely, and uh, I've been a Central Illinois boy all my life, and you're out in Georgia now. But I know you've you've got to have some love for Central Illinois in your past, uh, involving Ted's. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I grew I grew up in Fairbury, Illinois. I uh, went to Prairie Central High School, and then uh, let's see, I lived in Fairbury, I lived in Charleston, I lived in Tuscola, I lived in Effingham. I moved to Atlanta from Effingham, Illinois. Mm. Um, lived in Mattoon for a short period of time, lived in Bloomington for a short period of time, so yeah, I'm definitely a Central Illinois guy at heart, for sure, for sure. Well, I, uh, I've heard a lot of stories over the years about Ted's from my mom, who frequented there a lot back in the day, uh, but can you give me kind of a perspective on uh, on what an experience at Ted's was all about? Man, for me, honestly, man, it was where I kind of, it was... Charleston was where I really learned uh, what it meant to be a professional musician and how to to do how to 
do how to play music and actually try to make a profession of it, you know, and Ted was absolutely huge for me. You know, I, I still remember being 18 years old <clears throat> and uh, having an Eastern ID. And back then, you know, if you were 18, you had an EIU ID, there was a pretty good chance you were going to get into a, one of the fine establishments in Charleston, Illinois. <laughs> and uh, being a musician, uh, I took advantage of it um, to go to Ted's. And I, I still remember the first time I walked into Ted's, Ted's said, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Hey, how you doing? And I was like, great, man. And uh, I went in and hung out and saw the bands and just, you know, it's Charleston for me was a, a bigger town because I grew up in a town of 3,000 people. So for me to go to Charleston where there's actually a live music scene, it was mind-blowing for me. Um, this was in 1990. And, uh, you know, so Ted's just became a place for me to go and see how it's done. And I guess it was probably about 92 that I got my first chance to play on the Ted stage. And it's something I'll never forget. It was my band, Ziola Blue. Um, a lot of my uh, bandmates were going to Lincoln College in Lincoln, Illinois. And Ted gave us the uh, infamous Wednesday night slot which is what you played when you wanted to get onto the stage. You had to, you had to do that Wednesday night slot. And so, uh, you know, he gave us the Wednesday night slot and, uh, uh, we had an entire crew of people drive down from, uh, college kids drive in from Lincoln, Illinois. And we had an amazing night, man. It was such an amazing weekend and Ted was super cool, but it was, you know, it, it was more than just gigging up there for me. It was, walking out of the venue and having Ted hand you a, a paper schedule of all the bands that he's going to play. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is cool. You know, and being, seeing like bands that worked up there and getting on their mailing list and seeing like how they did their mailing list, which back then, I don't know if there's any, how many young kids are listening to this, but back then a mailing list actually meant you had to go to the post office and mail something wasn't an email list you actually had to make a postcard and mail it right but you know just so many things i learned from ted um and, and you know I, I i i owe him so much when it comes to like what i do now as a living it's, it's truly amazing everything that he taught me there's not a whole lot of people that i or anyone can not hear any bad about but i've not heard anyone say any bad word about ted bertuga at all no, no, I can't imagine it, you know, and, and here's the thing, you know, and I, I'm, I hate to say this, but there was a time when I actually, I actually, uh, I wasn't really on his, on his, on his, on his, uh, negative list, but you know, I still remember one time I was with my band, um, I was playing kind of like a punk pop band, um, this is probably like 94, 95, mm -hmm. probably 94, and, uh, we were up there at Ted's and they were having an open mic. And I was like, hey man, we should, you know, our guitar player was like, hey, we should go, we got our amps and stuff in your van, let's just see if Ted will let us play. Or let's, let's see if the guy who's doing the sign up will let us play. And so we said, yeah, he said, you guys can hop up on play. And when we played, I guess we were too loud <laughs> and we kind of ran the place empty. And oh. honestly, we were, we were pretty abrasive, you know. Uh, but we kind of ran the place empty. Um, <laughs> You know, and Ted came up to me. He goes, "You know, Ted, I, you know I like you, but I I have you guys down to play a show in a few weeks. I can't have you do that show. I can't have you do that show." So I actually had Ted actually cancel the show on me, mm -hmm. and it was 100% our fault because we just 
we were kids, man. We just didn't read the room. And, uh, but then, you know, like a month or two went by, and I came back up, said, Ted, can we do a show? And he goes, absolutely, we can do a show. You know, it, it was never, you, you were never on his list for too long, hmm. you know, unless you did something to stay on his list. But if you kept showing up and you were cool and you were nice, you know, Ted was always very forgiving. And, uh, yeah, man, and the next time we played up there, man, it was, I think it was us and a band called Kelp out of Atlanta. <laughs> it was a, we had a blast. Man. It was just so much fun. I think I need about uh, 15, 20 more dogs because they're usually pretty docile, <laughs> but I swear. Cats, and they don't make as much noise. But oh, definitely my God. That's, that's part of the fun living on the farm. I got roosters, peacocks, dogs, cats, mice. <sighs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Anyway. Go, surround yourself with, if you can't surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with good animals, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Girl, that's enough. We're, we're podcasting. Uh, anyways, um, being that uh, Ted's had so many uh, big name bands come through, was there any that stuck out in your mind that you got got to see in person that uh, was very memorable? Um, you know, not really, man. I, I, I don't. Re- you know, most of the bands that I saw by the time I was there, you know, is a lot of like, you know, I mean, Clockwork Orange was obviously great. Um, but for me, it was seeing my friends play. It was seeing like oh, yeah. John Clarkson and those guys and Kitty. Oh, yeah, play, I know John. You know, and these guys, you know, John at the time, John and Mark Allen and those guys, you know, we were all buddies and they were, we were all like 19, 20 years old. And those guys were up there and they were smoking some of the bands that had been playing there for years. Mm. And it was just so much fun to see those guys, you know, do their thing and uh, watch everybody grow. And it was, you know, it was just the camaraderie, man, of just going there and seeing people you loved and, you know, seeing people you knew. Like, I mean, Gus, the bartender Gus, I don't know if you remember Gus, but uh, last I knew, Gus lives somewhere around Atlanta for a while. I don't know if he still lives here or not, not, but, you know, and then there was Goob who had the Goob special drink, which, you know, knocked you on your butt. You drank more than two of them. And, uh, (laughs) you know, there were so many cool people and so many great memories up there, you know. A lot of, a lot of nights I don't really remember how I got back to uh, the other side of Charleston, but somehow I got back safely. And, uh, you know, just so much fun. Just so much fun, man. Well, being that uh, I'm sure a lot of crazy or fun things happen there, do you have any stories that stick out in your mind? Um, man. You know, I'd have to say one night that sticks out in my mind was, uh, uh, I think the Digits were playing there, and uh, Rick Sims just kind of lost his mind on stage <laughs> and started like screaming and cussing and everything. Oh, wow. um, that was a weird night. Uh, but you know, man, I don't honestly, man, there weren't really every night that I was up there, I wouldn't consider anything weird because that was just tense. You know, it wasn't it wasn't weird to see somebody like, you know, fall down the stairs accidentally or <laughs> see a guy, you know, see a drummer like throw his drumstick and think just out of casual out of casually, you know, just rock and roll, he would throw his drumstick and see it like hit the other side of the balcony and land on the floor, you know, him going, Oh yeah, right, and then we're on a balcony. You know, it was there was oh there really wasn't anything I consider weird because it was just part of being there. You know, and it was we were, I was so young going in there that it was all so new to me 
that, you know, I nothing really stood out as far as being strange. I mean, I still remember the first night I was got a, I was able to go up into the band room, which was up past the pool tables. You know, there was a little bitty, like a four-step walkway up into this little band room and going up there and just, you know, I'm not going to say what substance was going on up there, but let's just say, you know, you walk in that room and you were instantly intoxicated. And, uh, you know, it was things like that that, you know, I look back now and after some of the things I've seen since then, you know, Ted's was actually relatively tame for me, you know, to me. But, uh, yeah, man, it was just everything up there was just great and fun and cool and you know it was all it was all an extension of ted you know because ted was the guy you know who would wink at the girls when he came in if i if i showed up with a date you know ted would always say hey kid how you doing he would always kind of talk you up a little bit make you feel good around your date you know and stuff he was always aware of what was going on with the situation man and that was always super cool you know so it's uh yeah man just every moment i i cherish every moment I've ever spent in that place. Yeah, it's unfortunate that being that I'm only 33, we don't have anything like that around here anymore. I mean, Matt used to have like the Oasis Club, Charleston had Ted's. I mean, there was there was like literal places you could go just down the road where you could see like a rock in concert. Yeah, I mean, when I was in school, we had Ted's, uh, which was kind of like your your metal, your hard rock scene, I guess you would say. Um, and then you had the dungeon um, at Friends and Company, which kind of, you know, that, it, I guess it was probably about 94, 93, when uh, Nirvana broke, you know, the dungeon kind mm-hmm. of became a, a pretty important place, too, for me because of uh, the, uh, um, you know, the indie rock scene and the alternative rock scene really kind of blossomed there. And that's where you would go see original bands. You know, like original bands would come through Chicago, like Jesus Lizard would come on tour and play at the Dungeon, Brooke Assault to play at the Dungeon, you know, and it was it was the place where the original bands were. So that place introduced me to a whole other side of music. But it was, yeah, I mean, Sticks Sticks Pool Hall had bands. Oh yeah. You know, there was there was bands all over the place in Charleston at the time, and it was so fun to be a musician back then. You know, it's like I tell people all the time, it's like. People ask if you could have a time machine, where would you go? And I'd say, I'd go back to the 90s tomorrow. Like, give me a pill that I can take (laughs) where I can end up in, like, Charleston or wherever I need to be in, like, 1992, and I'll be really happy, you know? Because it was just a different time, you know? Mm -hmm. If you were a band, you, you could press CDs and people bought your CDs. So you actually made money off the music that you recorded. You know, you could hop in a van and drive from... You could start in Charleston and go south, go down to Carbondale, pick up a band, another band in Carbondale, head straight up north on 57 and hit Carbondale, hit Charleston, hit Champaign, hit uh, Kankakee, hit Chicago, and then go straight up into Madison. And you'd play original shows every night, making money, and wow. gas was like 97 cents a gallon. <laughs> right. Cigarettes were like 95 cents a pack, you know, and it was, it was feasible. You could actually do it and come home with enough money to where you didn't go broke for being on the road. And it was so much fun, man. I'll never forget those times. You know, I, I, I miss them dearly. You know, I honestly, like I honestly think they can keep the time machine if we could just get 97 cent gas again. <laughs> man, hey, it could happen. 
I don't think it'd be a good situation if it happened, but <laughs> I think it could happen. You never know, man. Yeah, you probably never know. not. You know, well, I found it pretty... Goes, maybe if everything goes electric, you know, gas won't be as necessary, and they'll have just ample supply of the gas, and they'll, you know, you could, you could go up and, like, pay what you think is fair for your gas. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, if it was the movies, they'd, they'd show kids, like, bathing in it and, like, just spraying on each other. Like, oh, it's just barely free. Let's just waste it. <laughs> That'd be great. I have. Uh, yeah, man, it was, it was awesome times, man. It was so much fun being in Charleston back then. It was just great. Oh, I bet. I found it pretty cool that uh, you've performed on some pretty awesome stages and then like TV shows, even uh, Conan O'Brien and Today's Show. What were those experiences like? That had to be awesome. It was a blast. Um, you know, Conan O'Brien was um, honestly it was it was it was an experience that uh, it was it was one of the most terrifying experiences I've had on stage because basically the story is I was playing with Christian Bush and we get there earlier in the day and you get all set up and they sound check you and everything and you know when we're playing we're playing to a click track which is basically a metronome and we have everybody i have the click track in my ears and christian has a click track in his ears and the reason why we had to play to a click track was because the song had to be the exact time the exact tempo of the record mm. as well as the exact length of the record because they base the show around that song so if the song goes 10 seconds over that's why sometimes you see bands get cut off before their song is over because their song is not at the same tempo as the record mm. therefore they get cut off you know um, so we had to make it perfect so we get everything set up everything is great and they say hey you guys we'll, we'll take care of your gear you guys uh, we'll have everything ready for you when you guys get back you guys go enjoy the day so we go walking around you know the Burbank studios and we're walking around checking out all the stuff and grabbing some food and we come back about an hour before we're supposed to play we're hanging out backstage i meet john crier which was really cool wow. i got to meet ducky which was um, um pretty in pink which was awesome <laughs> um you know and we're all everybody's hanging out and then they say hey we got 10 minutes we need you guys to take the stage great so we take the stage and um by the time we get up on the stage and everything gets settled they say okay guys we got about five minutes we're gonna be going to a commercial break here in about three minutes you guys just be quiet we're gonna have the cameras over here on conan just be quiet you guys get whatever you need to do and so my click track is you know basically like a little bitty like ipad and i go to check my click track and the sage hand sitting there and i said hey man uh is it did you guys unplug everything he goes yeah i mean we unplugged everything and moved it to the back of the stage and i was like holy crap dude and he goes, what? I said, my click track is completely dead. So I'm sitting there. I plug my click track in. And I hear, we got four minutes. And it's literally giving me the, nope, I'm a dead battery oh, on my no. click track. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't have the click track. I don't have a click track. And Christian's looking back at me. Everything okay? Everybody good? And I'm like, yeah, man, we're great. Oh, and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, come on. And then finally, we got three minutes. It turns on. I'm like, okay, thank God it's on. And I'm sitting there, man, just give me, just give me something where I can, and I'm trying to like get the click track to get going. And you know, when you're 
when your machine is really dead, it just doesn't really work so well. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there going, come on, man, come on, man. It gets up to 1%. I'm like, yes, I get the click track on. Then I said, I need 2%. I need at least 2 or 3%. And every minute that went by, we got two minutes, mm. 2%. We got one minute, 3%. And I hit start. And, dude, I, I literally – so, like, if you go on YouTube and you uh, – if you YouTube Christian Bush um, on Conan – uh, when you look at my face on the drums, I'm literally like, just, whoa. <laughs> I, was in, I was hallucinating. I was so nervous, man. But uh, once we got playing, it was fine. But yeah, man, those shows are a blast. You know, it's, it's a really interesting thing to do those shows because it's like you're under a magnifying glass. You know, there is no mistakes that won't get noticed, you know. Um, when we played the... Uh, uh, I think it was The View we played. Um, oh, was it The View or The Talk? I'm trying to remember the name of the show, but Sharon Osbourne was one of the hosts. So I got to meet Sharon Osbourne, the Queen of Darkness, which was really awesome. You know, that took me right back to Ted's <laughs> when I met her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, man, I, you know, I've been very blessed and very lucky to have toured the world. I've played China, Taiwan. I've played Australia, Japan. Just kind of been all over, man. And, uh, you know, it all really started from you know, walking into Ted's at like 18 years old and just seeing a band and going, dude, I can do this. You know, I'm a drummer. I can, I can make this happen. You know, just being stupid enough never to quit. You know, I guess is the secret. So. Yeah, that's true. I think that's true with a lot of things. Uh, but going back to Christian Bush for a minute, uh, that had to be pretty cool performing with him. I mean, not just a great artist, but a part of Sugarland, and not just that, but I mean, he's being royalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, man, the, the best part is he's just a super cool guy. You know, his brother, his uh, music director, Brandon, um, everybody in that band's professional. Everybody's a Georgia Atlanta guy um, or girl. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, they're just all super cool people, man. And it's, 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 it's fun to be out with adults. You know, it's like you get off stage, you go back on the bus, there's no craziness or nuttiness going on. Everybody's just having a glass of wine and, you know, and enjoying their evening and talking about the show. And then everybody goes to bed. We do it again the next day. You know, there's really nothing crazy to talk about. It's just professionalism. And it's, it's, I learned a lot from him for sure. That's awesome. Now, you've played overseas as well in uh, different places. Uh, what was the most exotic place you've uh, you've played at, so to say? Um, probably touring China twice. I did two month-long tours of mainland China with the On Fires from Australia. Um, and if you go to YouTube and you type in uh, The On Fires China Doco, D-O-C-O, there's actually a 15- or 20-minute documentary about our tour over there in 2011 and it was just uh it was nuts man it was seeing the other side of the world and seeing just how chaotic china is but then also being able to eat like real chinese food every mm-hmm. day was amazing and just you know meeting people and you know learning you know basically what i learned over there was that every human's the same we all wake up we all try to do the best thing that we can do to take care of our fam- ourselves and our families, and we try to be good people. And, you know, the Chinese people, when I was over there, man, they were nothing but gracious, 
Um, it was, I never saw a police officer the entire time I was there, wow. except for maybe at a festival, you know, um, never had an altercation, never saw an altercation. Um, it was, uh, it was an interesting place, man. Um, and then Taiwan was beautiful. Japan was amazing. Of course, you know, Tokyo was mind blowing, but I'd have to say like touring China, man, and hitting some of like the, the seaport cities and, uh, you know, uh, meeting Master Li Mao, who did, he's done two of my tattoos in Changsha, China. You know, I became dear friends with him and his wife, Yang Yang, and, and his uh, apprentices. You know, every time we went over there, you know, I got to spend time with him. You know, he would tattoo me, and then, you know, they'd come out to the show. And, you know, I still remember one time I, he, he brought his master, who taught him how to tattoo, to the show. <laughs> it was like, wow. I mean, just watch any, like, badass like kung fu movie man where the guy meets the master it's like you know they come to the show and we're playing this little place called the freedom house which is this small little punk rock show and you gotta understand that this is 2011 2012 the country of china which is one of the oldest countries on earth mm -hmm. probably if not the oldest it was the sixth year in the history of their country that they had music festivals oh my so, goodness the oh. crowds were rad. I mean, like, we would walk out of a hotel, and it was like me and two Australian Max, who was, she's probably 5'11", 5'10", with fire blonde, spiked, uh, curly, maxed out hair, and Marie's like 6'2", with a long goatee, and I was 6'1", with a spiked blonde hair. I mean, we stopped traffic just by walking out of a hotel, and uh, we would play these shows in these venues where these kids are literally, like, tasting in your face rock and roll for the first time for a lot of them and it was amazing man it was like the energy was nuts and i still remember after a show like meeting master mal's uh master and i gave him a pair of drumsticks and when i handed them to him he literally took both of his hands and like held them out like you know like i was handing him a sword and he took my sticks into his hand like a sword and held them up in the air it was it was just so amazing, man. It was super cool. Um, it, you know, it's 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 it was really cool to see that side of the world, and and it really made me thankful for all the things that we have here and the ability for us to go see a concert anytime we want. You know, it was like wow. If you think about it, like imagine like if there was only six years of concerts in America. You yeah. know, it's it's hard to believe, but uh, I was really thankful to be part of that really blessed to be part of that <clears throat> oh, life-changing for sure oh definitely well what does the future hold for you ken you got anything coming up uh i always like to ask people what's coming up and uh anything's better than the, the past year and a half i'm sure <laughs> man you know i i do uh, it's uh it's i'm cautiously optimistic um you know, because I'm, I'm trying not to get too optimistic. I try to just take each day by day because, you know, when you get dates on the calendars, you know, those dates could disappear and it's mm -hmm. spurs moment. You know, we've had, I'm, I'm playing with my band, The Swear, uh, which I've been playing off and on with since 2004. 2004. Wow. Um, we're back together. We just put out a new record that we recorded at uh, Blackbird Studio in Nashville. Um, it's called The Clinic and the Sane, and that's available on Apple Music. Um, a really cool uh, project I'm working with too is a band called Evil Little Wonder Babies and it is a project between myself 
and my buddy Bill Wason, which we played in a band from Charleston, Illinois together back in college called Cherry Balance. We used to we played that was the band that got kicked out of Ted. That was the band that got our, our show canceled. Was mm-hmm. Cherry Balance. Wow. And uh yeah, man, we started making music. Last, we started making music during the the, the uh, pandemic because he could email me guitar tracks mm-hmm. and bass tracks. So he started right. emailing me tracks, and I started laying down drums to it, and mixing it, and recording it, and that's all on Apple Music. Um, but you know, man, next year I'm I'm really hoping to see some shows, uh, and uh, see some shows come on the calendar, and some more tours, and uh, you know, just keep on keeping on, you know, one day at a time. Absolutely. If you make it back this way, we'll have to meet up and grab a bite to eat or something. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Is uh, La- oh, is Labamba still there? No, it's uh, not. Unfortunately, Damn. no. Um, oh Effingham, uh, Effingham has a Golden Corral. We frequent there quite a bit, so I. That's that's nice right now. Right on. Well, thank you so much for for joining me and. Uh, Best of luck with everything you got going on and everything even farther down the line than that. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. And uh, uh, I got myself one of those Ted's T-shirts, man. So y'all go online and order yourself a Ted's T-shirt, man. When I got it in the mail, I was like, oh, my God, hell yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> so I really appreciate what you're doing and, uh, you know, keeping Ted's spirit alive. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping some point in time, you know, maybe everything will resurrect and, Charleston will be a live music scene again, man. It'd be amazing. I can look forward to coming back and seeing everybody. Oh, definitely. That'd be awesome. Thanks again, Kent. Enjoy the rest of your night, man. You too, brother. Mm -hmm. Take care. All right, you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. Big thanks to Kent Auberly. We're going to be back tomorrow. We're joined by 1993 Waco survivor David Thibodeau, who joined us a couple years ago. He's going to be back at Dark History and Horicon. 2021 this year it's october 23rd at the ihotel conference center in champaign illinois and there's a lot of awesome guests coming to that so it's gonna be nice talking to david again and we will see you guys tomorrow thanks everyone for listening have a great night